Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrewer, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing Remembrance Day. Well, uh, this year is the 100th anniversary of the end of the uh, First World War, um, which is what Remembrance Day is obviously sort of associated with in that, you know, in the UK, we celebrate it on um, um, the 11th of November at the point at which the armistice was signed. Which Did you 11, say celebrate 11, or commemorate? Well, anyway. I, I may perhaps commemorate yeah. uh, is a better word. Um, we observe it. We observe Remembrance mm. Day at the time, at the uh, date and time of the ending of the First World War. Um and uh, it uh, apparently I, what I didn't know is actually originates originated in South Africa, where um, they had a three minute silence, uh, which was instituted by the Cape Town mayor uh, in, in 1918 after he found out that his son had been killed. Um, and, uh, you know, had this so they, they had this uh, three minute, three minute silence. And, and the um, this was observed by someone who wrote back and said this would be a good way of sort of commemorating the end of the war. Of course, that was before the end of the, the First World War. And then I think it was the following year that the first Remembrance Day uh, occurred. Anyway, there are some people. Uh, so there was an article I saw in The Guardian uh, by Simon Jenkins um, saying, well, you know, it's now we've the last of the uh, First World War veterans died, um, you know, I think uh, it was two or three years ago, wasn't it? And, um, uh, you know, perhaps it's time to wind it up, you know, as it run its course. And so I think what we need to talk about is, you know, what's it for? what what's you know and and i guess if we can work out what it's for we can work out how long it ought to go on for mm. uh, and whether whether if ever it ought to stop okay um yeah there's some questions i want to ask straight away but let's just go to chris um chris can you any, any initial thoughts on what um nick's just said well yeah i mean i think um there, there's obviously um there's there's no there's no real precedent for for this uh in terms of um you know this this kind of commemoration uh and the record of this kind of commemoration we don't it's not like we can say ah oh, well you know we stopped um commemorating the Crimea in such and such a year so we'll we'll, we'll base it on on that and it's not it's such a sensitive issue um it's not the sort of thing that anybody is ever going to make a decision about right so it will be one of these things that that peters out effectively and at some point it won't be done because nobody wants to be the person who cancels the commemoration of something that was is so, you know so so significant but i i think the key um the key kind of factors that determine when events like this uh cease to be um uh, sort of recognised by society are are probably to do with you know living memory or at least living memory of direct relatives. So a hundred years is is probably about right. You know, Nick was talking about um, I think Harry Patch, the the last um, uh, combat soldier to have fought on the Western Western Front, who uh, died. Uh, I think it was two thousand nine or two thousand ten, something like that, um, and. Um, you know other other veterans that fought in you know that were involved in the war in other ways have you know have died recently and so those people who are actually the victims of of the event uh them no longer 
being alive um, is is probably a sort of natural barrier to that that very vivid recollection of of the event and now we're we're living on um sort of you know hand second secondhand stories about the, the the events effectively um so my sense is over the next 50 years it will it will decrease in significance well it's already i mean i think it when it was originally for, certainly for the first few decades you know the whole country would come to a standstill cars would stop in the street and stuff and I, and I think that it's not it's not observed on that level anymore so I think you know it seems reasonable to expect a, just a petering out of observance the ceremony will still carry on but fewer and fewer people will probably pay attention to it okay I'm not sure if that's correct so let's no, sort of, I, let's see neither am I but um, I mean that's that's the that would be what it looked like it's not like some politicians are going to say we'll cancel yeah. the ceremony even no. if it's Jeremy Corbyn uh, you know I think they'll still carry it on but the question is will people pay less and less attention so just Sorry, because I think there is something different about, um, I mean, this was all kicked off with the First World War, and I think there is something different about the First World War that means that it could, ironically, live beyond other wars in Mm. terms of commemoration, which was, first, I guess, that it was global. Secondly, that it was, it wasn't the first um, example of mechanised warfare, but it was where... um, um, yeah, where where we lost hundreds of thousands yeah. of people, yeah. you know, in this in this country, exactly. war and that scale, and, yeah. and so on that is the sort of there's an element of few, more of futility about this war than others. Yeah, um, I think in also, the, so it was so accidentally entered into. Yeah, nobody wanted the First World War, but it happened anyway. So. And so I think there are reasons why it sort of lives on sort of longer than others, and is more impactful in people's uh, psyche. Um, and actually, although I was surprised, actually, one of the things you said, Nick, uh, I hadn't realised that previously in, in decades closer to that war, the traffic stopped, etc. Because something I felt I noticed sort of, um, let's say, in the early 2000s, was it seemed to me to be in a kind of um, a, a recommitment to Remembrance Day. And it seemed to me that it seemed to be a, a bigger and bigger thing, actually. Um, I, and though, I th- I, yeah, I, th- I think that was partly driven by the fact that we were we had s- soldiers overseas. So it's not it's not just a recognition exactly. of those in the First World War. It's also veterans from Absolutely. other Absolutely, and and so I remember around that time, and still now to a certain extent, sort of feeling a little bit uncomfortable personally with what was happening with Remembrance Day. It was it was ceasing to be Remembrance Day and started to be more a kind of um, um, banging so- the drum for Iraq and Afghan and Afghanistan. And more associated, and I think definitely um, the uh, what's it called, the British Legion, because because the First World War was obviously sort of receding, and you have got these new conflicts. I I felt there was a, a greater emphasis. There was there was a conscious move to sort of tighten. Yeah, the I know what you mean. I, th- I think that's right. I think the the talking about the armed forces and heroes and all of that kind of thing is definitely something which you know I, I don't remember people really paying any attention to at all in the eighties and nineties. Uh, so much you know and uh, I mean if anything you know the kind of standard opinion was well you know the 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 military are kind of in some way morally suspect uh, and that has turned around and now it's you know that I think we've moved much more towards the sort of American approach which is to uh, be uh, possibly o- a bit overly respectful towards the military but um, uh, but yeah I mean re- I, I think you're right I mean I think I know what you mean um, you know I, there there is a sense of of kind of renewed interest 
in in um, you know in certainly the First World War and 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 widening the scope of remembrance to include everyone uh, you know who's died in a war. And I think that brings me on to what I I would suggest. So first of all, we can think of the role of these of sort of commemorative silences and and those commemoration ceremonies as being about honouring the people involved and perhaps you know providing some sort of comfort or whatever to the families. Um, but I I think it serves this other purpose, which is to act as a kind of cultural booster injection for our societal antibodies to to uh, needless conflict because i think that's the, the, the and, and i i worry that you know the further away major conflict is the more likely politicians are to um enter into Get it into a major conflict, because yeah. that's what bloody happens you know that's what happened for the last 400 years is in you know and i think we touched on this in a previous podcast but there is this. It does looks looks like a sort of two generation cycle uh, uh, between major wars. You know, you've got your so Second World War, First World War, then Napoleonic War, and then you know the Seven Years War, and 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 it just seems like uh, and the Thirty Years War before that, and it seems like well, it, t- it seems to everyone agrees. No, this is really really bad, and we shouldn't do it. And then gradually people start thinking, well, let's actually, no, it's a good idea. Let's have a big war again. And, and I think, you know, for enforcing a, at least some recognition that war's bad and we should we should make sure that we all agree that we'll all spend time all together, all just as a, as a nation agreeing that war is bad, just sort of slightly reinforces um, that that uh, that that memory. Uh, not that it works. I mean, yeah. it didn't stop the Second World War from happening necessarily, but no. But I think I, I you see. I think the interesting um, purpose of the uh, of Remembrance Day and the reason why it's important for it for it not to be subverted from a from a perspective of historical lessons is if you look at um, most uh, sort of recognition of. Um, British military campaigns prior to that, there was an element of triumphalism about them, you know, big monuments uh, that, you know, obviously there's a lot of war memorials associated with the First World War, but they are much more humble and they're much more about the loss as opposed to the the victory that mm, came mm. came from them. And I think that we, you know, Britain had had, you know, a, a martial history which kind of scaled up to the First World War. And that that lesson about going from small wars that are successful and aren't too much of a problem so okay we might as well have a big one now i think that's particularly critical and 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 you can see that in things like um tony blair's prime ministership for, for uh, premiership for example where he started off with uh you know sierra leone and and kosovo and they were deemed to be sort of successors and then you know, up to uh, up, up comes his sort of commitment to the Iraq War, which was obviously much more contentious and on a larger scale and much less successful. And I think that that guarding against, um, sort of, you know, having a few successful wars and then moving into a a great catastrophe is is the key lesson for for me. I think a humility about uh, military conflict. Okay. Okay. Um, it might be worth actually. There is something interesting about the use of silence where, you know, you can imagine people saying, no, what we'll do is every year we'll sing a patriotic song together or something. Um, The good thing about silence is it doesn't reveal what people are thinking. Um, It's a point I know I found on the Internet, but I thought was quite striking, actually. The, The point is a pacifist. Uh, and a you know real sort of diehard patriot can 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 do uh, remembrance day together and there's no conflict 
you know mm. they can they can do it together and and be in perfect harmony while they're observing it which i think and i think that's actually very clever mm. yeah, yeah and it's also very arresting you know as as somebody who uh both played and watched you know football on uh, you know often there would be uh moments of silence to remember you know a, a dead p- famous player or something along those lines and uh you know it's obviously a powerful collective experience and uh, you know as nick said there's there's nothing to indicate the the you know the way you are responding to that yeah it's yeah, disruptible it's pres- though it's apparently not, it is disruptible. apparently man united when they were um going to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the munich air crash uh discovered that that that, that day they were scheduled to um play man city and they were worried that all it would take was one shouty hooligan yeah. to destroy the whole thing so they went for i think a minute's, minute's applause yeah. yeah which is a uh, sort of uh not surprising but quite sad but this issue actually this is something i was quite interested in um this issue of minute silence is um you know is is there is there uh, and i think a lot of people feel that there's a bit of an inflation in minute silences um and so i tried to i i looked at a few things for which uh you know silence is used to commemorate uh, to commemorate and uh tried to find out if there was some consistency like does the scale uh the number of observers the length of the silence and stuff scale in some way to the uh magnitude of the calamity and the answer is very much not right it's hugely inconsistent so um and i try, i put tried to put some numbers on it and i and i found you know if you take world war 1 and 2 um for which you had uh something like um 87 90, well 87 million deaths is the figure i used um and i i reckon you, the observers of minute silences per year come are in the billions it's it's you know if you add up all the countries who have a minute silence for the first world war it's, it's a couple of billion what that means is that the number of uh person days per death of silence so in other words if you add up the number of people observing it and, and the, the amount of, time, yep. of silence and what i've done is i've added up all the all the silences for the last hundred years um i i think uh you, you know so you have your two minute silence it comes to a, a few days per death Okay. Of silence. So if you added up all the silence that people were, were producing, uh, it would give you a few days, like, you know, what one or two, three, four, five days of silence mm. per death. Mm. It's quite a lot. I mm. don't know. feels like it's quite a lot if you think about it. Yeah. Um, then, But then we have the, if you take the Asian tsunami, 230,000 deaths, three minutes silence. So I think, again, observed very widely throughout the world. Um which uh, works out at something like 30-ish, 30-ish person days of really? silence per person. Well, I've only just got started, Fraser. Hold on to your Doesn't hat. repeat, though, does it? No, so, no. So that's, no. But I've, I've included the repetition, you see, in right. my numbers. Okay. So that was a one-off. But it, but it still, at the moment, vastly exceeds the amount of silence dedicated per death to uh, the world wars. Football matches when someone dies. I reckon fifty thousand people producing one minute of silence for this for for, for each dead person, um, which comes to about the same actually as the tsunami. It's about thirty days. Then we then we start to get stratospheric. One minute silence for the Titanic, which was observed in uh, across uh, sort of Europe and um, and the US, uh, comes I to definitely didn't recognise that silence. Uh, it was, that's about a hundred upwards of a hundred um, person days. Then we then we get nine one one where there was a lot of silence. I think in the US they had um, five uh, five minutes at one point, and you know again very widely observed, similar order of magnitude. Now we go up into the uh, we start to get stratospheric. Madrid, 
um, the Madrid bombings, uh, 191 deaths. But I reckon when you factor in all the people observing the sciences, it comes to about a thousand person mm. minutes. So we're already up to um, a matter of um, uh, days. So Are we going to get onto a Paris car crash? Then we, then we have um, uh, the and the similar similar for seven uh, seven similar for the terrorist attacks in Morocco. Well, no, the very yes. So whereas when we uh, a national silence for the death of a leading figure, e.g., yeah. sort of Churchill or, um, or Kim Princess Diana, or whatever. Yeah, uh, for certainly in the UK. I mean, I, I haven't worked it out for China, but it's going to be big. But in the UK, it works out as a, a, a total of 114 person years of wow. silence for that one individual. Wow. So it's over a lifetime of silence is observed for that one person. Interesting stuff, I thought. Okay, so, so the interesting... what I'm saying is totally inconsistent. What we should do is have a sort of millisecond of silence for a monarch and and scale it up according to the total number of people observing it yeah. and the total number of people who died. Okay, um, although that's interesting, and I, and I get the point that you're making, really that's not... Okay, we, it is about commemoration, but it's more about... What I'm, no, I'm saying there the is an argument, there's an argument for scaling it, which is that it doesn't dev- devalue it, you see. Yeah. This is why it worries me when we have these suddenly a two minute silence for, you know, for, for you know, relatively, relatively not particularly serious kind of event devalues I, the two minute silence for I, I, the 90 million people who've died in World War One, one and two. I, I agree. Uh, but I also think like, for example, having a minute silence when the Queen dies, having a minute silence for that i don't i i think i hadn't realized she was dead anyway well, carry on she, can we stop saying a minute silence and say say it like it is having 114 years of silence 114 years <laughs> of silence 114 years of silence the point is that uh, all of those people who are engaging in their own one minute's silence kind of feel like they know the queen right so you know they 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 are observing their one minute silence for the queen in the event of some mass catastrophe, um, you're sort of you 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 might have let's say let's say let's take a world war. You might have a relative or two relatives that you are recognising your your silence on behalf of. I mean, I know it's a mass event, but we don't we don't feel a connection particularly with that person over there who died. We might have you know particular people our, our, ourselves that we are connected with. So we're we're celebrating our we're commemorating our one minute silence for a small number of people if you see what i mean yeah so, I, I i'm being a bit supercilious i'm not suggesting that we uh that we try and bring all these things into line with one another what i am i'm just trying to demonstrate rate yeah exactly i'm just demonstrating just that there, they, there's a lot of inconsistency yeah. Yeah. in it and and i think we just we do need to be cognizant of the problem of potentially you know uh, grief inflation here we do, just need to make sure that we are reserving you know, the right amount of silence for things that are relatively much more significant and where it's more important to, to commemorate. Yeah. yeah. Um, something we haven't got on to and we don't have time for actually is the kind of the hysteria that every year there's always some news article somewhere about some poor celebrity went on a game show or something who didn't have a poppy um, and the, the backlash against this person for not wearing a poppy. But we don't have time to get into that. What I want to do is actually slightly jump on the bandwagon with that and just pose the question of just out of interest what personal connections do you two and myself have um to uh this whole thing with remembrance any any connections with family it's always interesting to hear about this sort of thing about your antecedents and i've got i must admit i've got a selfish reason for asking this but anyway 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, I think our generation is a, is a little bit in limbo with the First World War generally because our grandparents were probably too young to uh, have served in the in the First World War. Um, but I do have some. Uh, my great uh, uncle was uh, was gassed. He didn't die, but he uh, he he was affected and. Um, I'm also a quarter Austrian, so I have uh, a number of relatives who fought on the um, the Alpine front as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, Nick. Um, no, it's interesting you say that actually about about surprising uh, surprising sort of people who have surprising ancestors. Uh, I went to school with a guy my age, um, so I'm born in 1977, and his dad, no, not his granddad, his dad had been a tank driver in the First World War. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And I know, I happen to know for a fact that Fraser uh, is Fraser's dad was a Victorian. He was indeed. Yeah, um, but I, in terms of no, my see, my my grandparents on my dad's side were, were both Irish, so they were they had a slightly unusual um, Second World War, not First World War, but Second World War. They, uh, my granddad worked in um, sort of national construction projects, helped build Mulberry Harbours, uh, and um, you know, my my granny just worked uh, in London. Um, my my granddad was a farmer, so on my mum's side, my granddad was a farmer, so he that was a protected profession, and my granny was in the Land Army, but. Um, there was very little in the way of, you know, my, my family, my granddad was in the First World, my great granddad was in the First World War and served in Egypt. But yeah, not, I have to say we've been remarkably lucky as a family to avoid war related tragedy. Mm. Um, so yeah, although a, a, one of my uh, sort of not, it's kind of a second cousin removed, my, my granddad's sort of, um, uh, it would have been his cousin, I think, died um, on in the final week of the Second World War mm. uh, after VE Day, Ugh. before VJ Day. Mm. Yeah, and I often think, you know, you know, there were there was still fighting on Armistice Day, even though they knew that it was going to be an Armistice. They was they were still fighting. Imagine being someone who was killed on Armistice Day; it'd be absolutely infuriating. Well, well. But, yeah, no. So yes. Not much, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, with me, I've always felt connect, very connected with the First and Second World Wars because, um, well, first of all, my, my mother, who was born in 1933, and so she has memories of the Second World War and was, was brought up around that time, but also she went on to join the Territorial Army and she was in that for many, many years, a couple of decades. Uh, but yeah, as you said, my father, who was born in 1898, um, he, was seven, he was 75 when I was born in 1973, um, but he was in the First World War and the Second World War, and he was in the Navy in the First World War. He would have been 16 when that when that broke out, and he fought at the Battle of Jutland, which I always think is Extraordinary. astonishing. You know, the, the the naval engagement of the First World War. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And he t- used to, when I was young, he used to tell all sorts of stories about sort of people getting killed at sea and all that sort of business. And then in the Second World War, he was in the uh, in the RAF in 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 North Africa, not really fighting, but he was in Cairo, I believe. Um, anyway, so shagging probably, probably shagging. Well, my mum reckons that. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. that's another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, all right, we'll we'll stop there. Uh, thanks as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Chris Rag and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And until next time, goodbye. Mm-hmm.